thank you, this Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful congregation of saints here. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The Pentabaptists here. Praise the Lord. And we are Pentabaptists. Love you all. And the preaching and hearing the word. Okay, here we go. I was born in 1947. And in two weeks, I'll be 75. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Raised in a uh, Methodist church, downtown Methodist. Good old church. And uh, good Reverend Art Thurman. Good Sunday school teachers. They were, they, sometimes they got, they scared you into uh, salvation. But, you know, in the 50s, things were straight. Things were honest and simple. I always mentioned 1955, the good years that things were, everyone was in church. No one went to, went to Wally World, this or that. But to be getting on with my testimony, I was raised in church. We went to church whether we liked it or not. It's okay. Then, I, you know, we started, I started wandering away. At seven years old, seven years old, 1954, I try to be as fast as I can, but God knows what's going on. My older two brothers were baptized in Methodist Church downtown. We are going to take off to San Diego. I kid you not, at about 12.30, I felt something. Uh, it was very, very heavy. Not a bad heavy, but kind of ominous. I believe it was the Spirit of God. At seven years old, I'll never forget it as long as I live. So we went to San Diego and came back, jumping ahead, high school. We were painting our Sunday school classroom, a bunch of us were to paint. And I walked down at the end of the day, walked in the sanctuary. I just felt the Spirit of God again. I was about 16 years old, 1963. Went through high school, through college. I flunked a placement test in flying colors. I mean, I flunked that day. He said, you, my mom, Eleanor Hawk, was a, one of the hot shots of Sylvan District. She said, I'm going down to talk to that guy. She went and said, don't you ever talk to my son like that. I got started J.C. in 66 fall. Took me three years to get to J.C. Onward to San Francisco State University in the middle of the hippie era. I mean, it was pretty wild. I stayed, I, I stayed at Verducci Hall. We call it Verducci Zoo. But let me tell you something. I had a grand time in J.C. and a great time at San Francisco State College. So a friend of mine, we're talking about heaven and hell and religion and all that stuff. I started taking art classes, you know, history and tenth command, tenth on the on architectural uh, European art. Talked about the cultures and the last judgments and heaven and hell and all that. I started thinking about this. October 31st, 1969, she and I were talking about some things. And all of a sudden, we talk about big, talk about religion, heaven and hell, and all that. All of a sudden, I said, "Oh my God, I gotta get saved. We gotta get saved." I received the Lord Jesus Christ midnight, Halloween night, Friday night, 1969. Then, 
Shortly after that, I was my junior year in college. This choir came on campus. Well, before that, so I said, you better go to Universal Life Church and find out, you know, talk to them about it. I went. I was a little late there in the fellowship hall doing peace signs. I said, uh, red flag. <coughs> no way. So I said, where's the reverend of the church? Up the hallway, down, up the stairs, through the hallway to the office. I went there. I said, are you the reverend of the church? I said, yes, I am. <laughs> this is great. I love it. Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? No, you don't. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. Then, 70 February, I was thinking thinking of church up there. I was going to San Francisco State. This is about a year and a half before I graduated, 71. Pentecostal church came on, choir came on campus and said, where's this church at? 150 Eureka Street, San Francisco. So I started going there, Pentecostal church, and... uh, it was great. Then I went to back in Modesto. Came back the next fall. Went there again. And uh, life is, tell you, since Jesus came into my heart, there's not a bed of roses, but life is sure good because of the fact that we are a family of God throughout the whole, whole earth. The all, we are one. Whether we are white, black, brown, green, red, blue, purple, charlotte, or whatever that green is, we are all one. Unity. It's all about Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And uh, I just thank God. Sure, I blow it. Sometimes I think I'm less than the least of the saints of God. But God is there. Some told me sometimes I feel like Jesus Christ is a thousand miles away. Sometimes I feel like my head, my hair has hit the ceiling and fall to the floor. That person said to me, Brian, that's sometimes when he's the closest. You think he's far away, he's the closest. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. I love you all. I love this church. Thank you. We're going to have some times of two, 2022. We're going to get more people coming in the full swing. Kids, toddlers, babies, families. Praise the Lord. I'm looking forward to it. God bless you all. Hallelujah. Emotion from when you were seven years old. Oh, good for you. I'm lucky if I can remember yesterday. Thank you, Brian. That was, that was very special. Pastor Larry, we're looking forward to your message. Amen. Thank you, Brian. That was, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Amen. Good to see everybody here. And uh, we want to say a couple of special prayers this morning. Um, um, Cynthia's husband, Raphael, is uh, very sick. And um, Joe's uh, brother, Robert, we want to pray for him as well, correct? 
Okay, let's go ahead and bow our pray, our heads together, if you will. Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, you are, the, you are the great physician, Lord, and we just pray, would you put your hand upon um, uh, Raphael, uh, Cynthia's husband, Raphael, and just give him your, um, uh, your healing touch, Lord. Just give him your healing touch and, um, you know, minister to his body and, and also for Robert, Lord, Joe's brother. We just pray again, Lord, your healing touch upon them. Let your Holy Spirit minister to their bodies, Lord, and bring them healing, Lord. Uh, through your spirit, and we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know today, and I want to welcome uh, all of our uh, any guests we have among us. Welcome. God bless you. Uh, today is actually Sanctity of Life Sunday. I don't know if you, you were knew that. The third Sunday in January was... Uh, designated, oh, and I thank you, Jacob, you got the, I ask you if you can find something for that, and you did a wonderful job there, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, there it is right there. Uh, 1984, President Ronald Reagan, who was a very pro-life president, made a proclamation on the day that Roe versus Wade, it, it was 11 year, it was the 11-year anniversary of Roe versus Wade, and so he on purposely designated the third Sunday in January as uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and churches have been uh, observing this since then. And he said this, he said, on that day, the Supreme Court struck down our laws protecting the lives of unborn children. So he designated this to be a day that we celebrate the, God's gift of life, we commemorate Though the lives that have been lost to abortion, and we commit to protect human life in all of its stages, all of its stages. You know, life is a gift. Did you know that? Life is a gift, and God has given us the gift of life. You know, we began a couple of weeks ago in the Gospel of John, and we took a look at the the first verse, and it said that Jesus. It says he is the word, he, he, the word was God, the word was with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God is the giver of all life. All life comes from him. All life is designed by him. All life displays his glory. Even the unborn, unborn baby in its mother's womb displays the glory of God. You know, I, I don't know if uh, you've heard of the book, The Joy Luck Club, but uh, Amy Tan is the author of the book called The Joy Luck Club, and she tells of a story, uh, a good friend of her, pro-choice friend of hers, ended up being pro-choice, she wasn't at first, she almost abated, aborted her baby daughter, and she gives a, uh, she tells the story of how it all happened. She said when she found out that she was pregnant, she was furious. You know, she didn't want to have a baby. So she went to the abortion clinic. Thank God it wasn't uh, the kind of abortion clinic she was expecting. Of course, she didn't know that at the time. She said they started showing her these films trying to brainwash her. <laughs> right? <laughs> films of little, uh, little babies, you know, 
little seven-week-old, when I say seven-week-old, from time of conception, in the mother's womb. And these seven-week-old little baby had these, they were so tiny, and they just had these little, little tiny fingers. And in the film, it said this. It says, uh, you should imagine these little fingers. These little fingers can move, and you should imagine them clinging to life, grasping for a chance, the miracle of life. And uh, a Tan's friend said that she didn't know if anything else would have moved her but that. Those little fingers, those little baby fingers. And she decided not to go through with the abortion. She thanked God that she didn't. She had her baby named Shoshana. She said Shoshana was a perfect little baby. She said she was, she, she had ev- she, every detail about her was remarkable, especially the way she flexed her curled middle finger. It was the little fingers on that life that God had made that stopped Tan's friend from aborting that child. This was a life that God had made, a life that God had designed, a life that glorified God. You know, David, in the book of Psalms, talks about his own birth and his own conception. And in Psalm 139, 13 and 14, he says it this way, For you, Lord... Created my inmost being, you weaved me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God's creation. You know, Jesus, when he was born upon this earth, Jesus went through the same process as everyone else. The Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary. He was conceived in the Virgin Mary, and with God as his father and Mary as his mother, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So he glorified God as the only begotten Son of God. We're going to read in just a moment. We're going to read in just a moment how, uh, how, how Jesus is glorified and how how. How, how Jesus, how we're to glorify Christ. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to look at, or it's also going to be on the screen, I believe, John chapter 1, as we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John. Incidentally, I want to thank you, uh, Brother Greg, for uh, your preaching last Sunday and, and uh, filling in. And I've I heard really great things about it, and I thank you so much. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It says this, Uh, we're in verse, I'm sorry, verse 14, John chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. If you have a Bible, if you're willing and able, if you can stand with me as we read from the Word of God, we're going to read 14 through 34. It says this, the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the only, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God. But God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He didn't fail to confess, but confess freely, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer so we can take back, we can take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whom sandals, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptized. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I, I met when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove, and it remained on him. I would not known him, have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, his life is given to us by God the Father. Jesus, the life giver, is given to us that we might believe, that we might believe in him who gave his life for us, that we might believe in him who gives his spirit to us, that we might believe in him who empowers us once we put our faith in him to glorify the Lord. Isn't that what we're to do? Glorify the Son of God. Glorify the Son of God. How do we do that? How are we to do that? Well, we do that by recognizing who he is and honoring him, giving him the, the honor that he's due. Honor Jesus by the worship, the form of worship. Honor him by a form of obedience. And honor him by the form of imitating his life in yours. Amen. We're going to look at three ways this morning. Three ways that we're to reveal, we're to, we're to glorify Jesus Christ that the text here tells us to do. And each of these ways requires an action on our part. Okay, are you ready? So number one, we're to glorify the Son of God first 
to begin with simply by seeing his glory. See his glory. What does it say in verse 14? It says, the word became flesh. He lived among us and we have seen his glory. See it. He's the word that became flesh. The Bible tells us that he is, he is God in flesh, God incarnate, God uh, in, in, in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. And he sent Jesus to communicate to us his love. And he did it. There was no better way to communicate his love than by becoming one of us. Taking on the flesh of a man, meeting us where we're at. You know, the age that we live in is called, commonly called the information age. It's been called that for a while. But no amount of information can substitute for the human touch. When it comes to communicating friendship, when it comes to communicating understanding, when it comes to communicating love, Jesus came to show us God's love with a human touch. Now, it doesn't have to be, uh, when we're talking about the human touch, it doesn't have to literally be a, a physical touch, but it does have to come from a, a literal, the heart of a literal, literal physical human being. God wanted to communicate his love through us, to us, through a human touch. Jesus came to be with us. He came to rub shoulders with us to show that he's not untouchable, literally not untouchable. You know, it's an interesting thing. John, who also wrote the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll find that toward the end of the Bible, he began his letter of 1st John defending against a false teaching that had grown up, popped up in the church. It was a teaching called docetism. And this docetism was the teaching that Jesus was not really a physical human being. It was a teaching that he was just a phantom. He was a physical being that appeared human. So John begins his letter by calling Jesus the word of life, and he defends against uh, this false teaching by talking about the fact that how he knew Jesus, he heard Jesus, he saw Jesus, and he literally touched Jesus with his hands. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says it this way, talking about Jesus as the word of life. He says, that which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. God came in, the for, in, in, in flesh, in Jesus Christ, to love us with a human touch. He could literally be touched as he wanted to be. He wasn't untouchable. Jesus is the word of life, and he came to us from the Father. No one has ever seen God, verse 18 of John. It says, no one has ever seen God, 
John 1, but God, the only Son, at the, at the Father's side has made him known. Why has no one ever seen God? John 4, 24 tells us God is spirit. And because he's spirit, Romans chapter 1, verse 20 tells us his nature is invisible. In God's spirit, invisible nature, no one has seen him. But Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You got it. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus embodied Jesus embodied the fullness of God in flesh. Jesus embodied the glory, the radiance of God's glory. Jesus embodied the full nature, uh, ex the full expression of God's nature. He was God in flesh. You said before Jesus, people could only know God partially. But since Jesus came, he is the perfect expression of God. He explains the Father to us who he is, what he says, and what he does. It's all in Jesus. So we, we, we glorify Jesus by seeing his glory, God in flesh. Not only is he God in flesh, but the rest of that verse in verse 14 tells us he is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. John expands upon this in verse 17, this idea. He says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, Moses is known as the lawgiver. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, otherwise known as the Torah. And in those first five books, God reveals his holiness and his demand for our holiness. He, he uses the law to demonstrate our own unrighteousness. The fact that we need, we open our eyes to see that we need a Savior. Because we can't do it on our own. Now Jesus came to be the Savior. Here, here's the thing. Moses highlighted God's law and justice. Jesus highlighted God's grace, His mercy, and His love. Jesus offers us his righteousness. You know what happens when you receive Jesus Christ as a believer? You receive all of his perfect righteousness. And it's all by grace. By grace you're saved through faith. You, we, we receive his perfect right. What is grace? What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is receiving a gift you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, but you receive it because of the favor of the one who's giving it to you. Uh, we enter into God's grace when we receive Jesus Christ. And when we, we receive his perfect righteousness, listen to this, Romans chapter 3, verse 22. This righteousness is from God comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You simply believe to receive, to receive his righteousness. Jesus is full of grace, and he is full of truth. Jesus is the truth. Until, until we realize the truth and recognize the truth of our own sin and our own need for the Savior, we can never be saved. We've got to recognize the truth. 
that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We've got to recognize the truth that without Jesus Christ, we're lost. What does it say? The, the, the hymn, John Newton wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I recognize my sin. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus is filled with grace and truth. We see his glory in, in his grace and his truth. So Jesus, we glorify him first by to see his glory. Number two, we glorify the Son of God not only by see, to see his glory, but to prepare for his glory. Prepare for his glory to be at work in you. Make your heart ready. Set things straight. Get your priorities in order. First things first. Jesus is Jesus first. Amen? Putting him first. Preparing for his glory. You know, this year, we just started a new year, 2022. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. <laughs> but <laughs> we're preparing for the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, the world has its own glory. People are so impressed with appearances. They're impressed with wealth, with looks, with position, with power. These are all things that people often seek after as priorities in their lives. Right? But for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus Christ, our priorities are different, aren't they? Our priorities, our pursuits, our passion should be to prepare for the glory of Jesus Christ. Not our glory, His. Prepare for the glory of Jesus. Prepare for the glory of Jesus by fulfilling His purpose in your life, fulfilling his purpose in your life so that he is honored, so that he is praised, so that he is given glory. You know, Rick Warren wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, and he talks about fulfilling our purpose and how that glorifies God. And he says it this way. He says, in Jesus' prayer, John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus prayed this to the Father. He says, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. And he goes on to say, Rick Warren goes on to say, Jesus honored God by fulfilling his purpose on earth. We honor God the same way. Whenever anything in creation fulfills its purpose, it brings glory to God. Birds bring glory to God by flying, chirping, nesting, and do other bird-like activities as, just as God intended. Even the lowly ant, Warren says, brings glory to God. When it fulfills its purpose, it was created for. God made ants to be ants. He made you to be you. He says, St. Irenaeus said these words, The glory of God is a human fully alive. Fully alive. Prepare for Jesus' glory in your life 
to fulfill by fulfilling his purpose for you. But fulfilling his purpose for you, John was fulfilling his purpose. We're going to look at John the Baptist here in John chapter 1. He was fulfilling his purpose, giving testimony to Jesus Christ. Incidentally, isn't it been great, as we witness today, to hear all the testimonies here at Calvary Baptist Church? Before, isn't that great? And I want to thank every single one of you that's given your testimony. It's been such a blessing. And I want to thank you that you that, that are going to give your testimony. It's such a blessing. And I want to thank Brother Greg for coming up with this idea and putting things in place to bless us this way. Thank you, Greg. John was giving his testimony. His testimony of Jesus Christ. He was shouting it out. He was shouting it out. If we take a look at verse 15, he says it this way. He says it this way. In verse 15, it says, he was crying out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me. He was shouting it out. His testimony of Jesus. This happened just a few months after John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And he was shouting it out. He was preparing for Jesus' glory, preparing the way for Jesus, being the forerunner of Jesus, fulfilling his purpose. And he had drawn great crowds. And, and this got noticed by the, uh, the elite, the Jewish elite, the Sanhedrin. You know, so they sent some, they sent a little party of people, priests, Levites, go find out about this man. I, I want to know, who is he? And what, by what authority is he baptized? We didn't give him no authority. <laughs> What's he doing here? So that's what they did. They, that's what they did. They came to John, and uh, he tells us in verse, verse 19, they came to John to ask him, specifically to ask him who he was. Now, who did he identify with? Who, who, how would he identify himself? What if someone asked you who you are? What, what do you identify, what, what thing do you identify most closely? Is it your family? Is it your political party? Is it your occupation? Or is it Jesus Christ? We've got to be careful that we put first things first, amen? That, that we put for Jesus Christ first in our lives. We've got to be careful to give our first-rate loyalties, put them in the right place, prepare for Jesus' glory. Prepare for Jesus' glory, fulfilling our purpose and giving him first place, seeking his glory. You know, they kept asking John, who are you? Listen to this, verse 21. They, they kept asking, who are you? Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Well, well, who are you? Give us an answer so we can take it back to the people who sent us. Tell us something about yourself. You see, John had plenty of opportunity to talk about himself, didn't he? But what did he do? No, he didn't. He talked about Jesus. He focused the attention on Jesus. He drew their thoughts toward Jesus. He prepared for the glory of Jesus. And in verse 23, it says, you want to know about me? John said, you want to know about me? This is who I am. I am the voice 
of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. John was quoted from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the prophecy of the one who would come before the Messiah. It's the same verse. John's father, Zechariah, you might remember Zach, couldn't talk. You know, when he, when, when he didn't believe the angel, when the angel told him his John was going to be born at a, and his wife was past childbearing age. Zechariah quoted the same verse. He quoted the same verse in John, Isaiah 40, verse 3, when it says, For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. You will go before the Lord. John says, I am, I am, making, I am preparing the way for the Lord. Who is the Lord he's speaking of? Of course, it's Jesus Christ. Of course, it's Jesus Christ. Question. How do you prepare the way for the Lord in your life? How do you make his path straight in your life? We have to take seriously our commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord. We've got to take seriously the commitment and prepare for his glory in our lives. You know, now we're going to talk about New Year's. <laughs> okay. We just came back. We just came into New Year's, 19, uh, 2019, 2022. And oftentimes when New Year's comes around, people make a New Year's resolution. Anybody got some? Well, me neither. <laughs> but <laughs> Jonathan Edwards was one of the great revivalist preachers in our country. At the very beginning of our country in the 1700s, he was, he was credited for, for uh, in a large part for shaping the first great awakening. Jonathan Edwards, incidentally, he also became the president of Princeton University for a short time before his death. Jonathan Edwards, when he was 17 years old, started to write some resolutions. He wrote down 21 resolutions that he wanted to keep in his life, and he added to those little by little until the day he died. He, he, when he died, there were 70 resolutions that on this piece of paper, or probably more than one piece of paper. And, but on the top of the list, he said this. this he said this. He says his resolve is being sensible, he says, that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions, listen to this now, and I commit to remember to read over these resolutions once a week. <laughs> How's that for practical th thinking? Once a week, review. We need to review our commitment to Jesus Christ, our covenant, our promise agreement. You know, my wife and I, Tess, we came up with a covenant before we got married. If you remember, we just, a little over two years ago now. Now, I want to tell you a little, I'm going to confess a little something to you. and Don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> we had a little tension in our marriage a couple weeks ago. Not just a little bit. Ah, oh, just a little bit. No. But uh, it was enough to motivate us to review the covenant we made. We call it a household covenant. A couple of examples, I'll just tell uh, one of them. Uh, these are covenants, a list of things to help us 
relate to each other in a Christ-like manner. One of them, uh, give grace to one another's weakness. Another one, uh, speak the truth in love. Uh, Covenant, a list of agreements. You know, our relationships with those that we love are sacred, aren't they? They're sacred just like that little baby, that seven-week-old baby in the mother's womb with the little fingers in that film was sacred. Our relationships with one another are sacred. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is sacred. He wants us to remember that and to review our covenant with him. He wants to, what is our covenant? Our covenant with him is our commitment to live how he wants us to live, and it's found in his word. It's something we should review regularly, amen? To make sure that we're doing like Jonathan Edward did, that we're doing a, 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 we're, we're, we're a checkup. We're giving, a, giving ourselves a checkup and asking God to help us. In our relationship with others, we're putting Jesus Christ first in how we relate. We're thinking about Jesus first in how we relate to each other, uh, to one another. How we handle conflict with one another. The words we use in our conversations with one another. We're thinking of Jesus first. Preparing the way for his glory in our lives. So then, to glorify the Son in our lives, we're not only to see his glory... We're not only to prepare for his glory, but third and finally, we are to reveal his glory. Make his glory known of who he is and what he's done. Now, John the Baptist, a day after, a day after he was being questioned by these uh, priests and the Levites, who did he see coming? You remember? Jesus himself. Jesus himself. And what does he do? He points to Jesus in verse 29, and he says, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing to Jesus, and isn't that what we're supposed to do? Amen? Point to Jesus. Point to Jesus. Look, he says, look. It's Jesus. You know, the Bible scholar N.T. Wright was once asked, what would he tell his children on his deathbed? And he gave three words. He said three words. Look at Jesus. Later on, he explains what he meant. He says, if you want to know who God is, Look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not a spectator, but part of the drama that has him as a central character. What do we do? What are we to do? We're to point people to Jesus to understand life and to make him the central, central character in their lives. Point to Jesus. Reveal his glory by pointing to Jesus, just like John 
He says, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. The Lamb was the most often used animal for sacrifice. The Lamb was taken on a daily basis to the temple. The priest would take the blood of the Lamb and offer it. It became a symbol of forgiveness. The Lamb was pointing to Jesus. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of God's grace which He lavished upon us, is by the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. John was pointing to Jesus. God the Father was pointing to Jesus. Verse 32. When, verse 33, when John was baptizing Jesus, it says this, the man on whom the Father told him, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happened in verse 32. When John baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit come down. It remained upon him. And you know what? The same thing happens to you when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus is unique. He is the only begotten Son of God. But he sets the example. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes down. Amen. It remains upon you. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. Who is it that does the baptizing? You are baptized in the body of Christ, but if you want to take a look at who does the baptizing, we'll take a look at verse 34, 33 and 34. It says, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down, he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who is the one who baptized? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit to become part of his body. We've got to point people to Jesus. So glorify the Son of God. Glorify him first by simply seeing his glory. The glory of the one who came to reveal the Father's love to us in flesh. The glory of the one who came to communicate his grace and his truth to us. Second, Prepare for his glory. Make first things first. Give him priority. Give him priority in how you relate to others. Give him priority and take your commitment seriously to regularly do a self-check on the covenant you make with him found in his word. And third, glorify him by revealing his glory, pointing to him, Pointing others to see him, the Lamb of God, the Lord who baptizes by the Holy Spirit. You know, Amy Tan's friend saw that film, and it didn't brainwash her. What did it do? It opened her eyes. It opened her eyes to understand. When she saw that film, her eyes were opened to understand the sanctity or sacredness. That's what the word sanctity means, sacredness, of life. She would later rejoice and thank God for the joy of her baby and her relationship with her baby. God wants us to open our eyes to the sacredness of our relationship with him. 
all, all made possible through his son, Jesus Christ, who saw our value and he came to, to pay the price for us that we could experience the joy of a relationship with him. He died on the cross and rose again that we might, he might call us his own. Once we put our faith in him to glorify him, glorify the Son of God in your life, will you do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of life that comes through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to, to remember our purpose, to, to glorify Jesus, not ourselves. Help us, Lord, to point others to Jesus and to think of Jesus before we say a word, to put him first in, in, in all of our relations, in all of our words, in all of our dealings. Father, help us to glorify Jesus in our lives as believers and receivers of his righteousness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.